Hey, I'm Stan. And I'm Drew. And we are your hosts of Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks is a fresh take on true crime podcast. We are a father and son team from way back in the sticks of South Carolina. Yeah, in a town of less than 500. And we have a shared passion for all things true crime. So, every Saturday we get together and swap stories about a true crime event. We try and find the most twisted and vile losers of our human race. Now you won't hear a lot of endless banner on Bad and Boondocks. But what you will hear is all the unedited facts on the cases we choose, no matter how gory or troublesome they are. And you'll hear it all with a unique southern flair. And along the way, you'll hear just the right amount of discussion and jokes to keep you and us from completely losing your mind. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Himalaya, and CastBox, or just go to badintheboondocks.com and download all of our episodes there. So, come on down to the boondocks and get your redneck on with us. We promise you'll have a good time. Everybody, this is Daniel. And this is Daniel. And I'm Carla. And my phone's going to die. <laughs> no one will ever be able to get a hold of me because Carla broke the only charger in the house. I'll give you mine. I feel bad. I, I feel bad. Good. Good. This was a pretty Maybe sweet it won't charger. happen next Actually, time. Actually, if we can't, if it's not the couch and it's really the cord, I have to get a new phone because Why? my phone won't stay charged. And the only way I survive is that the couch charges it so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to, everybody. I don't think there was any way you couldn't have done it. You had to pull your phone out, and the it was going to come with it. It doesn't seem to be manufactured very well. I don't know where it anyway, came from. So we've had that cord for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the last thing I bought you before our daughter was born. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. We went on the way to the hospital. And I said, "I want to get you something nice. I'm going to get you this nice <laughs> charging cord." Said, oh boy! I'm going to get you something nice. We'll have this. We'll have this. It'll be an heirloom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you can make a necklace out of this broken off piece. And be like, oh, that's so unique. What is it? It's a filling. (laughs) It's a charger. Look, it's Matt Damon and Batman. Matt Damon. Okay, we're back. We had two weeks off because I was dying for two weeks. And I still don't sound real great. You always sound like that. It might be the new me. Just kind (laughs) of... Mm. I think you should go uh, back to the doctor. Mm. I was right the last time. Ooh. Ooh. I just finished We're keeping score. So we'll see. Yes, and I'm way ahead. <laughs> Believe me, I am way ahead. <laughs> no, you're not. Yes, I am. Nope. Yes, because a lot of math problems get asked in this house. <laughs> like the time that YouTube kids wanted a math problem to continue, and it was like eight times five, and I got it wrong, and I'm like, give me a new one. <laughs> give me, so they gave me nine times two, and I got that one right. Wait, for what? It's like YouTube kids. So to continue oh. on, they want they make sure you're smart enough to continue, which is like the same as having an adult like code or something. <laughs> 
Like she doesn't know eight times five, and apparently I don't either. Isn't that forty? I don't know. Yeah, I put, when I got home, she goes, "Hey, what's eight times five? I'm like, 40? I put thirty-five, <laughs> so I was close. No, you were. I was only off by five. <laughs> so it gave you another one. Yeah, nine, nine times. It two. gave me an easier one because it felt bad for me. <laughs> I was like, oh god. That's really funny. I will pull out my calculator for two plus two. Yeah, anything. I'll pull it out. I'm like, uh, let me just double check that. Two plus two still equals four. Yes. (laughs) It's just in spite of my eighth grade math teacher who said you won't have a calculator with you always. So I'm like, watch this. I'm going to check. What's one minus one? Oh, wait. Is it zero? I'm not sure. I think so. (laughs) Wait, hold on. One minus one. It's zero. Okay, yeah. good. We can continue. We can continue. I'm the only one here that went to public school. <laughs> well, I just want to r- remind everyone of that. I just have like more of a creative mind. Yeah. I'm not analytical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your job like analytic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's all numbers and times. Yeah, well, I get them wrong a lot. <laughs> okay. I know military time. That'd I know cool. you texted me. You're like 1830. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And you just put ha 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 back and you didn't tell me what time <laughs> it was. So I was like, guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I told you what it was. You know now? Seven. No. <laughs> Why would it be a 30? It would be a seven. It was 1830. Yeah. So it's 630. Nope. I never would have got Is that. Is it seven? <laughs> Is it seven? <laughs> What's 0900 hours? Just, just guess. What is, what does your gut tell you? Is it like midnight? <laughs> You're making it too difficult. You're making it too difficult. Is it in the morning? They always say oh nine hundred hours. It's the morning, it's right? Nine a.m. It's nine a.m. There you go. It's the morning. I knew. It the gets- time looks the same until one o'clock in the afternoon, and yeah. then it is well, I thirteen. Look, I don't look the same until one in the afternoon. <laughs> the uh, thanks, guys. I feel real good. Thanks. <laughs> What is it like midnight? <laughs> <laughs> List books that have made you cry. <laughs> Calcu- Calculus one hundred and one. <laughs> we went to the festival, local festival. Didn't bring enough money. Money goes quick in those things. You know, it's all cash. Yeah, but they make it all seem cheap. Like, oh my god, it's only three dollars for a cheeseburger, but then it's also three dollars for cotton candy and three dollars for a coke. Yeah, and I the okay the eighteen. 18- but- you can get your prostate check for fourteen ninety five, <laughs> so that's really a steal at the festival. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't see a sign for that. Yeah, you really? gotta go in the back where the corny sleep. Oh, I did see a couple of those. I thought it guys. was. I thought it was weird that there was a Shetland pony present. <laughs> Funny you should mention pony. <laughs> okay, so our daughter really just for the record, I was not present. No, he wasn't there. So our daughter likes the horses, and you know. You, pay way too much money for the horses to walk you in a circle how much is way too much six bucks to walk in a circle okay but she's always like big circle though it's a big circle more of an oval but she really likes the horses so i'm not gonna tell her she can't ride the horses but then afterwards she wants to pet each one of them and we had sparkles on them one was dressed as a unicorn they always I don't know why I feel like I don't know. It's kind of weird that they decorate the horses and the <laughs> they do, yeah, the fucking sparkles. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh? They did look are pretty. They, do, are they going to their night job afterwards? Yep. <laughs> After hours employment. But she wanted to pet each one of them. We talked about like not jumping up and down and being louder because she can't hold still, especially if she's excited. She has to jump up and down. Anyways, 
We were petting the horse, and then Carla was petting the horse. And how were you talking to the horse, Carla? I was, he was my guy. Yeah, you were petting his... I was putting his nose between his nostrils. It was real soft right there. Really, really soft. And I was like, he's such a good boy. He's so cute. I just love you. You got such a soft nose. And he was like listening to me very intently. I thought you were going to say he sproused. And then mom (laughs) looks at me and goes, look what you did to that horse. Got a big chub. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. I had to walk away. <laughs> and I was laughing so long. Uh, I yeah. was just talking to him like a like my my he was my guy, and he really liked her. <laughs> Mom, look what you did to that horse! I'm not sure how to feel about this. <laughs> look what you did! You a good boy. You got such a soft nose. It sounds weird. <laughs> oh, it was so big. Oh, Boris thinks we're talking to him. I'm sorry, it's not you, Boris. Your wiener's not that big. No, it's far. not. Oh my god, I'll never be okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> Mighty man. I'll never be okay. <laughs> it was mom. My mom said look. that. Look what you did to that horse. <laughs> oh, it's your mother um, that yeah, said that. I didn't say it. I didn't even notice because I was holding, you know, the kid. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. and we walked away quickly. <laughs> and I was like, mom, you ruined my whole night. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I think that's why Boris likes me too. Boris quit bumping. <laughs> Forgot where we were. <laughs> Look what you did to that horse. <laughs> he's coming for you. I know. So Boris normally isn't here, but he's here today. And Carla smells like her puppy. Yes. Jimmy Steve. Boris. Jimmy Steve was really sick, so mm-hmm. Boris can't go over there. No, but he smells him. Um, we should talk about how our podcast almost ended 100% abruptly. Would have ended and been done. Why? Really? Yeah. You can tell me. Oh this. yeah, yeah, because someone tried to break into our house. Oh, and they were it eyeballing. Abruptly been done, and they were going to go through all our closets and just find the microphones and leave. <laughs> what the hell? They could see my laptop. Okay, so we have a back patio, and I leave the back patio door open into the, but it's not the door into the house. There's a sliding. Correction: glass. You did. Because there's the back patio. You used to. You used so there's to. a sliding glass door, and you have to go out and open both doors just to let the dog out. So during the day, just leave the outside metal door open, but lock the inside door, right? Yeah, of yeah. course. Well, we left from 6.30 to 7.30 to go to the store. And when we came back, there's a window that leads into the kitchen slash dining slash laundry room area slash dog room. And it's been painted shut since we moved in. We've never never been able to open it. And it's got an older lock on it. But it was like, whatever. We don't really need to open it. Crummy old window, painted shut. Never tried to open it. Well, I turn around, set the groceries on the counter and look. And the window is open like five inches. And I was like, it's never happened before. And so, it was definitely more than five inches, Danielle. I don't have a she good scale for It record. was at least six and a quarter yeah. to 6.875. Average. It was the national average. <laughs> so I was like, that's not normal. <clears throat> In the middle of this, you were dealing with your puppy. I know. Being sick. So I was like texting mom, like, did you open our window? Because that's something mom would do, would be to open our window. Mm-hmm. And then for Leave no- Leave and then- for no come over reason. just to open the window and leave. Yeah. And I couldn't get her to respond because she was helping you. I finally called her. I was like, you have to tell me if you open this window or not. I need to know. And she was like, no. Now can we get back to the matter at hand? Like she didn't understand like <laughs> what was going on No, here. I did not open your window. 
And so we're just looking at it and we're like, man, this is really weird. And then the door to the garage had been tried, like the glass flimsy door was open also. So they tried to mm. get into the back door to the garage. So they would have been sorely disappointed. You cannot climb through all in there. They climb through all that garbage. Yep. Into the door into the house from the garage was locked anyway. So mm-hmm. they would have been able to steal our crap in the garage. What fun. Yeah. All our old clothes. Like hey, wait a second. There's a treasure trove of like Xbox, like or, a, original Xbox games mm-hmm. and Ooh. DVDs. What's now, for those of you that out? don't know, <laughs> you used to have to take a disc out of a plastic container and put it in a big metal and plastic box that was mm-hmm. hooked to your TV. It would close, and that's how you watched your movies. And you actually had to get up out of your seat and take it out of the machine and put a new one in if you wanted to watch something else. No, there were some that you could put more than one movie in it. <gasps> we the didn't rich have people those. had those. We didn't have those. We had a disc, a CD player that would have done that. Remember I had a five disc CD player that I had to load from the back? In one of your cars? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I do remember yeah. that. That used to be, I mean, that used to be a big option. It was, I loved like, it. If you had a car with a six disc changer, mm-hmm. that was good merchandise to have. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It was in and the now trunk. it's like, it's got a six disc changer. That's just one more fucking piece of... I'd Old take technology it. that's going to break. I like them. So we're starting to look around and dad comes over and we're realizing that someone opened this window. And, and it the, wasn't mom. No, and it wasn't mom <laughs> for once. So we are looking at the window closer and you could see where someone had used a flathead screwdriver very gently to like pry it open. That's a all window. It took? Yeah. Oh, that's what I was like. Apparently it just took a little bit of patience and a flathead screwdriver. Yeah, they didn't do any damage to the like outside of the window, so it wasn't really obvious. The only thing that was obvious was that it was open the national average length. <laughs> but the creepier part is that we have an ADT sticker and a sensor on that window, so they knew we had an alarm. They were ready. And did not care. What they didn't know is we were between alarm systems at the <laughs> moment. Between not systems. anymore. No, not anymore. No. Well, it kept m- malfunctioning where it was like check antenna. Remember that? And then people would come over and they'd get in the attic to fix it. And they're like, okay, we fixed it. And then it wouldn't. It would still be like check antenna. So we would yeah. get in the attic and be like, this is not working. And now it's quite beefy. So oh, yeah, beefy is beefy. Fuck. So in be- more th- than but this the person. Lab. So but they have the sensor. Oh, so they knew we had an alarm. They didn't know it wasn't working. They couldn't have known that. So we have the ADT t- sticker, ADT sticker, and the sensor. So they knew as soon as I cracked this window open, the alarm is going to go off. But they could see my laptop on the table and knew that they could get... <clears throat> Boris, come on, get it, He goes, you're getting ready to tell a story about how I'm a fucking hero, so I don't think you can talk bad about <laughs> me. So they knew the alarm was going to go off and didn't care because they could get to the laptop and get out the sliding glass door in time. Before they, you know, what are they going to do? Alarm just happens to be going off and do the cops show up? Yes. When our old alarm would go off in Plainfield, you guys would send me to investigate. <laughs> can you just check it check, out, go back home. Go back home and see if anyone's there. And ma'am, like, can you just check it out? We're kind of out At of, least three times I did that. We're Checked in the out middle my own of something alarm. right now. I was like, Very if there's criminals here, game. I'm fucked. I'll be like, take it all. Just not the pots and pans. They're new. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't care that we had an alarm. Now, what is directly below that window? An outlet. A gi- yes, but a giant <laughs> dog bed. A Boris-sized dog bed. He's like 85 pounds, licking his wiener. Stop. Put it up so everyone can hear it. No. It's majestic sounding. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so they could see that we had an alarm system and a big dog. He just happened to not be in that bed at he the wasn't? time. He was They popped that window open, and it makes a pretty loud sound. 
How are we going to jump up through that window? Yeah, they because they moved the couch in front of it to like climb through. They knew they could fit. But so Mr. Boris Karloff hears that sound and was not happy about it. So we're pretty sure that's what scared him off. So Boris. Yeah, hell oh. yeah. I wouldn't mess with Boris. Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Well, we've, I've, we've come to find out here in the last couple months that if he doesn't know who you are the first time, he's not real pleasant. No. He didn't like you. Well, he's in his, this is his place. And I think it probably, like, I, what is I was banging something on the counter like, to, like, shake a bottle loose or something. And it really upset him. And he didn't know where it was coming from, but he was still, like, mad. And I was like, it's me. It's fine. It's just me. But this time, no one told him it was just me. <laughs> so he, he he was either in the bedroom or on the couch. So this person couldn't see him. Yeah. So that sound, it's loud. Because it's an old crappy window. And it, when it pops loose, it makes Well, him... even then, he probably would have just been like, oh, my God. Walk so... over, see someone trying to get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think he barked at the sound. And I don't know if he ever saw them or if he they took off as soon as they heard Boris. And he never even saw them. Did you ask him? Well, he wouldn't identify. He wouldn't give a description of the suspect. <laughs> so we got lucky that the laptop is still here. Yes. And Boris did something good. Yeah, he did. And and not just try to bite me on the boob. Mm-mm. But that just shows show you how bold like criminals are. They didn't care about our alarm. They knew we had a dog. Then they're like, well, I'm just going to assume the dog's not home. Okay, who brought the dog? (laughs) (laughs) That's my story. Uh, Lock your windows. Nothing is safe. Nothing is safe. And get cameras. They had no idea. If they knew who we were, they would not steal our laptop. I think I want one of those doorbells that has a camera on it. Your mom. We get one of those. We're getting one. Yeah. Haley has one. My coworker, and she's able to look at while she's at work. She's Mm -hmm. like, some guy's pushing around a Scott shopping cart outside. (laughs) (laughs) It just bothers me that they knew we had an alarm system and didn't care. So it's like, we're going to get fancier ones with cameras. So the next time when the sheriff comes with their lights on to our neighborhood at night and scares our neighbors, that we'll just have video to give them. Yeah, that's if true. If you can see their face or not. I mean, but if you, I mean, how do you identify them from that? You could at least see if the person like thought of using the front door. I don't know. Yeah. We could see where they walked through the grass because it was so tall. And that they climbed the fence in the back. The six foot tall fence, they didn't care about that. That wasn't a problem either. They could just the muddy the footprint. The muddy we found the mud up on the post. Mm-hmm. Or they climbed it. You guys did some investigation. I did. I took pictures. Uh, I'm basically we're not, a detective. We're not only amateur podcasters. Podcast I? Yes. Podcasties? We, we take this stuff serious. And then we cleaned the house and called the police. <laughs> we just could clean up it real quick. Yep, we did. Because in. We used a lot of bleach just in case they brought a black light in. There you go. Luminol test. So Daniel's face would have been glowing. Oh, ew, oh gross. You did do. Oh, <laughs> you went there. <laughs> so anyways, two county sheriffs show up and our daughter is thrilled. She was like, yes. Because I was like, come here, look out the window. And their lights were on. And she was like, <gasps> and she's like, why are they here? I was like, they're just checking to make sure everything's okay. Like I wasn't going to tell her someone tried to steal mommy's laptop. She was real excited by that. And the first thing she was telling them was about your new puppy. And they're like, yeah, okay. Okay, Uh Yeah. yeah." (laughs) But our neighbors, so one of them texted me. They were out at a bonfire or something. They're like, everything okay? And I should have said, I couldn't take it anymore. Daniel won't clean up after himself ever. And I finally snapped. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay, just checking. Yeah, you guys would have to snap on each other because. um... (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to be on an episode of Oxygen Snapped. 
Okay, speaking of you guys did your investigation, though, there is an episode of Forensic Files, and I think it's one of a kind where the perpetrator of a murder jumps out the kitchen window and knocks a tomato on the ground and leaves a footprint in the tomato. And they literally identified him that way. <gasps> I love it. Yeah. We I, took a picture. I we love didn't... when people get caught on stupid shit. Was it a right? hamburger bun one time too? It was a hamburger bun. Maybe it was a ham- hamburger bun. There's a tomato one too. too. Okay, yeah. I love it. Yeah, so the moral of the story... Don't step tomatoes on in the house. <laughs> tomatoes everywhere. Leave tomatoes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing ever came from it. They took a case report, took some pictures, were very nice about it, and then we had to go. Well, the only thing that comes of it is that if it happens to someone else, then they've got yeah record. It was the scariest thing was like midday, and people were out and about, and they our houses don't but they butt up to each other, but there's like trees in between. It just was very odd. Middle of the neighborhood. I think it's someone that was at someone else's house. It was very like, possible. You know, our neighbor, other neighbor was like crackheads. And I was like, probably. Crackheads. It's crackheads. They're <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so I think that's all I had. Tell the story. I can tell the story. It's a shorter one, but poignant because you both went to the race. Poignant. Did you mm-hmm. fall asleep at the race? I did. I was very exhausted. Did you throw up at the race? I did. I was very exhausted. <laughs> you were that person. No, I wasn't. I was, really wasn't too drunk. I just had the the dog thing. And yeah. You were still the person puking after the race. Well, the it street. was in sun the street. <laughs> no one minds if it's in the street. Yeah. Literally, people were driving by me. They weren't even noticing. And I was like, Bleh. They weren't even honking? <laughs> no. We talked a little they bit. They were like driving by and I was like, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Were you drunk? No. It just was like a he, he and I don't know. It just, I, I wasn't having it. And then my friends were like, looks like you made buffalo chicken dip over there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hate you. <laughs> and this one time, I made a bucket of fake puke. <laughs> Daniel had fun at the race. Who won the race? Simon Paginot. I love crepes. I coming for you, Frankie Puppy. It was a good race. It was an excellent race. Everyone had a good time. Everyone had a good time. I fell asleep for quite some time. <laughs> That's okay, though. It's a long race. It's okay. We're watching it now. Yeah, it's on right now, right? It's behind me. Yes. Okay. Okay, we're in the early 1990s. Good time. It's a good time. <laughs> I mean, everyone loves the 90s. I love the 90s. Okay. Cynthia Albrecht, 31, was a Speedway chef who worked with Penske Racing, traveling the world, catering to drivers, sponsors, and celebrities. Did you already talk to me about this? I might have mentioned it before, because what do we know about Penske Racing, Daniel? Um, They have a, a racing... Um, explain what... It's a team. team. So, can you explain? It's an it's a IndyCar team. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's more in Penske Racing has IndyCar, NASCAR, V8 Supercar. They're a big uh, deal. They do sports cars. Correct. They're in there, like swimwear, basically. So they've won Boris, Boris, uh, 17 Indy 500s. I'm my legs over here. I'm sorry. So, trying to talk. I know. I know. It's him. Boris, you- your tail. Boris. Boris. Aww. He's smiling, though. <laughs> I guess he can do whatever he wants since he saved my laptop. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> okay. He's in okay. a tonic state now. Fine. <clears throat> Okay, the Penske guy. Penske's a big deal. She found herself working for IndyCar because her husband, Michael Albrecht, 41, was a pit crew chief and mechanic for Dick Simon. <laughs> Simon Ted. So, 
Dick Simon was a race car driver and team owner. The a funny, a fun story about Dick Simon is that he was actually investigated by the FBI as a potential uh, uh, suspect for DB Cooper. <gasps> Ooh, I didn't weird. know that. Yes, no, DB yes, yes, Cooper. Yes. Is one of those things that gives me the heebie-jeebies, but I need to know no, everything. Because he know. had, he was in the the right area and had the right amount of training. What? So I actually knew a guy that worked for Dick Simon during that time, and said the FBI came in and like raided the office. So and- he had like plane jumping abilities. Is that one of the things? Like he could have jumped out of plane. Yeah. Would Dick Simon have been a, the type of person that needed $200,000 in cash? I mean, who doesn't need that? Yeah, I guess. Could be. You know you know how you make a small fortune in racing? Hmm. Start with a large one. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's true. a money pit unless you're real good and you have a big name. And then it's still a money pit. <laughs> okay, they had met when she was catering an event in Miami, Florida. And in the early 1990s, Michael had been fired from Dick Simon Racing Team. Dick Simon. Mm-hmm. And then they played Simon Thid and Simon Thid touched my dick. <laughs> How long did it take you thinking that? <laughs> okay, so he got fired, but not because of faulty work or coming in drunk or anything. It was just a lack of funds, like what we were just talking about. That's a common story. You have no mm-hmm. money. The loss in his job created some turmoil in their marriage because Cindy, her career was on the upswing because everybody likes to eat. And she was a very creative chef, I think. It wasn't just like, here's um, a spread of sandwiches. She actually made stuff. You know. Sandwiches are good too. (laughs) I do like sandwiches. The couple eventually filed for divorce and separated. Next, Cindy started dating a man named Pete. I don't know Pete's last name. All I know is Pete is his first name. Who was a racing executive. Do you know any racing executives named Pete? Yes. Okay. Maybe it was one of them. Could be. And they traveled together, attended parties and events, including Al Unser Jr.'s Halloween party. (laughs) Sounds great. So depending on which one of those parties it is, there is a really good photo of Al. Hang on. Let me see if I can find it. (gasps) (laughs) It's Beetlejuice. It's terrifying. I guess it's kind of accurate then. (laughs) So I guess those are big fancy parties, his Halloween parties. I guess. I want to go. Okay. I so, know his mother. You do? I do. Well, get is us an invite. Yeah. Oh. she a nice lady? Oh, yeah. She's a sweetheart. Oh, that's good. Who is Al Unser? Al Unser Sr.? Junior. Al Unser Jr. One. is the son of, of four-time Indy 500 champion Al Unser Sr. So it's a racing team. Yes. Yeah, so Junior won twice. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to ask. He won four he... times. His uncle Bobby won three times. It's a family. So there's nine. On October 25th, 1992, Carla would have been a week old, two weeks old. Two weeks old. Mm -hmm. Cindy returned on a flight to Indiana after the last race of the season, and Pete headed to Florida. What's the last race of the season? No, I don't know. In 1992? Daytona. I don't know. Fuck, I don't know. You don't have to look it up. I just thought you might know. I would say St. Petersburg, but that one's like the first one. No, it wouldn't have been there. Now I got to look it up. Miami. I could just name a bunch of places and, and it see could be one, one of those. Oh, Laguna Seca. Where's that? I was going to uh, say Monterey, that. California. Okay, that's where they're ending the season this year. Okay, so it's the same, or was? Yeah, they. This is that's new this year. They haven't run there in years. I thought oh. you said Florida. Ooh, what? I thought you said Florida. No, he went to Florida. Pete oh. went home to Florida. Believe me, because rich people have houses in Florida. 
Okay, he called her several times in an attempt to confirm that she made it off the plane and home all right. So they have a voicemail, like, you know, old-fashioned answering machines. Beep. Beep. Yep. It's me. Uh, just checking in. Wanted to see if you got off the plane <laughs> all right. Exactly. It. If you didn't, you wouldn't answer. So you know. You're not answering. <laughs> People still leave voicemails. They do, yeah. Yeah, I never do. When's the last no. time I left you a voicemail? Never. I would leave one if there was an emergency and there's never been... No, you An just emergency. text and yeah. call and call and text and text and text and text and call. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. So he, and she didn't call him back. So he called one of her friends and she was like, yeah, I talked to Cindy earlier and she probably just fell asleep. Like, you know, you've been traveling and you come home and you just crash. Uh, Pete continued to call, leaving more and more desperate messages on her answering machine, stating that he hopes they will just look back and laugh on this someday that he's. But she never picked up the phone, and his final message stated that he knew something was wrong and that he loved her and he would never stop looking for her. So That's this maybe not the best thing yeah, to say. Yeah, so it's like, hmm, hmm. What is it? An episode of True Conviction. It's a former prosecutor in New York was came to Indiana, was interviewing people involved, and they have the audio of those messages. And he, if he's not being genuine, he's a very good actor, and usually they're not as good as they think they are. Right. Uh, the next day, a few of her friends went over to Cindy's apartment to look for her and noticed that her truck was still there and the screen to her backsliding glass door had been removed and the door was unlocked. Cindy was nowhere to be found and only her Marlboro luggage was sitting around the house. Because <laughs> Mar- cool. cigarette sponsors. Oh, yeah, they used to hand out. They were famous for if you went to their, if you got in their hospitality, all the fucking shit they would hand mm-hmm. out. And- Everything was red with Marlboro labeling. Well, that... No more cigarette Certainly sponsors has changed. Mm-hmm. Oh sure. no, and that that um, there'd be more money in racing if they yeah, still that could. really hurt yeah. auto racing. The mm-hmm. cigarettes getting out of it and booze too, right? Um, there's alcohol is not as uh, prominent as it once was. Okay, speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, as far as a sponsor, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Okay, so the, they went there and they didn't find her and her friends were really freaked out. She was like, I don't want to look behind the shower curtain. I do not want to look behind the shower curtain because they're afraid they're going to find her because everything in the house kind of seemed like not out of place. It Except just, the shower curtain. Yeah, so they looked behind the shower curtain and there was nothing there. Shit, so she I was doing gone. the same thing. Yeah, they were really freaked out. She said they went back downstairs and got in her car and got her mace and then came back upstairs. Oddly enough, the day she went missing was the day before a court date was set to finalize her divorce from Michael Albrecht. Speedway Police Lieutenant Bill Jones and Indiana State Police Detective Bill Kruger, there's like three bills in this, by the way, Billy, were placed on the case as an initial missing persons report. Detective Jones noted that a, pa- that a path in the wooded area behind her apartment led directly to a set of stairs up to her backsliding glass door. And if you stood back a little on a hill, you could see when she w- might be coming or going. So there was like a wooded area in between her apartment and like a shopping center type thing. But there was a, somewhat of a path and her apartment just happened to be on the end. And there were a set of stairs up to her second story like terrace. So, and you could stand back and kind of like look through the trees and if her lights were on or off, you could see. It was just not the safest spot in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Her bedspread was missing and her carry-on item that she always had with her was missing $2,500 in cash. Only someone who knew that money was there would have found it and touched nothing else in the apartment. So, nothing else was ransacked or or drawers dumped out looking for jewelry. It was just that one like carry-on item. And it was open and laying out. And the money bag was like empty. That's it. That's So someone had to know that she carried that cash. 
Did you think it was possible that maybe she'd just skip town for a couple of days? No. No way. Not without telling one of us. We knew everything about each other. Cindy's friends were convinced that she had been the victim of foul play. We felt from that minute that somebody had taken Cindy. The two friends immediately called Speedway police to file a missing persons report. Detective Bill Jones arrived at the scene moments later. The apartment was undramatic. There really didn't look like anything that had happened inside the apartment. But then, Cindy's friends pointed out something disturbing. Her brand new comforter was gone. Becky actually realized it and she said, that comforter's not on the bed. And then we just started bawling. Detectives wondered if anything else was missing. A search of Cindy's briefcase led to another startling discovery. She carries the Penske cash, and so they had us look, and it wasn't there. An estimated $2,500 was missing. Investigators were puzzled. There's $40 in her purse that's still there. An expensive watch is laying on the table. It's clearly not a burglary. My thinking is it's somebody who knows that that money is in that bag. Somebody random hadn't broken to rob her. In fact, all of the evidence pointed to one terrifying conclusion. Cindy Albrecht had been abducted. By now, Michael was working for Antonia Ferrari. And we don't really know. No who. relation to it's not the Ferraris, no. Okay, I really thought it was. Which was a smaller team, and it was a pay cut for him. But he had an alibi for the time that his soon-to-be ex-wife went missing between 9.30 and 10.45 p.m. that night. He was with his good friend of 20 years, Bill Filter, five hours north in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Detectives then shifted their attention to Cindy's estranged husband, Michael. The couple had met through the racing industry. What did you learn about her marriage? She had married Mike Albrecht and separated from him and moved out three or four months prior to all this happening. The separation was amicable. Mike had actually helped her move into the apartment. When investigators spoke with Michael, they learned that he was back in a relationship with his ex-wife in Milwaukee. So, for all intents and purposes, they had gone their own separate ways. In fact, Michael said he had been staying at his ex-wife's home on the night Cindy disappeared. Were you able to verify that alibi? We were able to verify that he was, in fact, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he was visiting his ex-wife. He also stopped and saw his parents and a person by the name of Bill Filter. So were you able to confirm then, through talking to those people, that he was where he said he was? Yes, he was in Milwaukee. Michael's alibi kept him out of jail, but detectives were yet to be convinced of his innocence. Search parties began looking for Cindy, including Pete, who had flown in to help. So, I mean, that makes you look suspicious if you don't come in and help, I guess, if you left your voicemails. But, you, I mean, there was no requirement. They were only dating, and she legally wasn't divorced yet. But, anyways, he still came in. She was 
just an amazing, amazing person. Very talented, and her smile, she lit up a room. And Cindy's friends told investigators she had a lot to smile about. She was the happiest she ever was in her life. Job of her dreams, traveling, she was just ecstatically happy. The city's large racing community banded together to help in the investigation. Our whole Penske hospitality team was there. We had other people from other teams. And we'd go out and search. We were doing anything we could think of. We were on a wing and a prayer. The media was doing its part as well. Cindy's story was front page news across the city. Three weeks later, deer hunters found a naked, headless body huh. in Newton County in northern Indiana off I-65. It was the body of a woman in a sexually suggestive position covered in a thin layer of leaves and twigs. Oh, my God. Was, uh, they just put him in a position? I don't know if that meant just like, I don't think the body was, I don't think she was sexually assaulted. But like leg spread probably is what okay. they were saying. Cindy's friend called local police to ask about the findings and confirm the surgical scars on the knee of the woman found in an appendix scar as belonging to Cindy Albrecht. So they can, her friend was like, yeah, that's her. My friend has a knee scar. Yeah. Oh. We could identify her that way. Yeah. I don't know how I would identify you. Peen. <laughs> you were already doing it. <laughs> what if the peen is missing? Balls then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe. You'd say, wait. Turn him over and pull his butt cheeks apart. Oh, God. No. <laughs> he has two lowercase b's on either side of his cheek. So it says Bob. So it says Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so Detective Jones f called the crime scene a dumping ground, and there was a bunch of just shit everywhere, even though it was in a wooded area. And the coroner could not determine a definitive cause of death without the head because she could have been shot or strangled and the mutilation detracted from that evidence. So if you'd been shot in the, in head, the head and yeah. they took the head, you don't know if they were shot or not. Becky followed up with the Newton County Sheriff to see if the victim was Cindy. I said, I have a friend that's missing. And I started to describe her. Tall and thin, long legs scar on her stomach, scar on her knee. And I actually heard the sheriff catch his breath, just kind of that. <gasps> I knew, I knew then. Minutes later, Speedway police received the call asking for Detective Bill Jones to come to the crime scene. We got a phone call from the state police that indicated that they had recovered a body that generally matched the description of our victim, Cindy. The seasoned detective was not prepared for what he saw when he got there. What condition was the body in? A white female lying on her back, nude, and was missing a head. It's clearly not something that you see all the time. You're shocked by the gruesomeness of the, of the crime. In an attempt to confirm Cindy's identity, police checked her fingerprints against their records. Cindy had never been arrested, so she didn't have any known fingerprints available. 
However, fingerprints taken from Cindy's Marlboro ashtray matched the body. So if the killer's reasoning for removing her head was to hide her identification, it failed. Yeah, no shit. You don't, everyone knows you have to take the fingertips. Yeah, but also if she has breast implants, you got to take those too. Did but she have I highly doubt no, it. I don't think she did. Uh, detectives questioned a man named Matt Carnell who went on a date with Cindy, but she broke it off when his girlfriend called her. Said, hey, that's my boyfriend. Oops. Matt didn't appreciate being dismissed and came around her apartment building banging on her door and demanding to see her in early October. Matt happened to be a tree trimmer in the area. You ever watch a tree trimmer do their work? That's dangerous. It's very interesting. He failed a polygraph test and had wounds on his face from the night she went missing. So like defensive wounds and he knows how to cut things and he failed a polygraph. Matt said he was in a bar fight and was hospitalized for two days because of an eye injury and that he hadn't seen Cindy. So that's why he was fucked up. He got in a bar fight and they confirmed. I think he was in Methodist for like two days. So it wasn't like scratch marks. Ooh. In the picture, it almost looks like that. One month later, Michael moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. One month later. Your wife is still your wife, but was always open to talk to detectives. Officer Jones flew to Florida and accompanied Albrecht to Fort Lauderdale Police Station. Michael was advised that he was not under arrest and was free to leave, but was still read his Miranda rights before questioning. He was free to go at any time, read his rights. But if you want an attorney there, you can't say things like, should I have an attorney? Or I feel like I should probably have an attorney here. Is that what, you know, like you have to say, give me an attorney now. Mm -hmm. Or otherwise it's like considered not a legitimate statement. So they're saying he never said anything like that. And he never had any more information to add other than his alibi. And police had no physical evidence to connect him to the crime. Once the tree trimmer was eliminated, police were back to square one. They turned to outside agencies for help. We're a small department that doesn't have tons of resources, so we enlisted the FBI's help. The FBI assigned a criminal profiler named Dan Kraft. He noted that Cindy was an unlikely target for such a gruesome crime. She was what I considered a no-risk victim, living in a no-crime neighborhood. Kraft believed that the man who murdered Cindy must have known critical details about her life. My opinion was that taking the head was to delay the identification, but they didn't take the hands. And the reason I believe they didn't take the hands is she's never been fingerprinted. So only somebody close to her is gonna know that. Based on the way her body was found, Kraft concluded that the killer had been determined to humiliate Cindy. The body was left in what I considered a sexually posed position. That tells me that somebody wanted to degrade her, that somebody has a significant relationship with the person. Nearest and dearest. Then... Antonia Ferrari contacted police because he thought that Michael had asked him how to make his wife make it so his wife would never attend another race permanently. Like, well, I got a couple ideas. Revoke her tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and that she had a $50,000 life insurance policy that he was the beneficiary of and could use to pay someone. So he's vaguely asking help in getting rid of his wife. 
When Ferrari told Michael he would not be helping him, he said that he would just do it himself. Police got a tip from a man named Antonio Ferrari. What did he tell them? He told us that Mike had approached him several times during the IndyCar season, wanting to know if Antonio had somebody in the mafia. In a recorded statement, Ferrari told the authorities exactly what Albrecht had asked. He said, maybe you know somebody in a mafia or you know somebody that can do something for me. Must be something permanent. Albrecht had said he could pay up to $50,000 to the person who carried out his plan. How shocked were you? When you heard this? It was certainly information that, as a detective, you go, wow, that's, that's pretty significant. Ferrari told police he had initially dismissed Albrecht's remarks as bitterness over an impending divorce. Michael would continue to make payments on the policy after his wife sep- him and his wife separated, and he filed a claim for the benefits approximately six months after her body was discovered. Well, at least he waited six months. It, it'll look less obvious. Yeah. He ended up receiving $52,000, so he did get the money. Uh, December 4th, 1992, police set up a recording between Ferrari and Michael in an attempt to get him to recreate the conversation. Like, remember that time you were, like, kind of asking me about how to get your wife to stop coming to the races? Wink, wink. <laughs> and he was like, no, because you say shit like that and, you know... I need an, uh, like, what do you say? I need another, I need my wife, like, I need a bullet in the head. Like, he's like, you make jokes like that, you get in trouble. So he's actually saying, like, I didn't say anything like that because I would be in trouble right now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Michael was still the prime suspect at this point. Was it a coincidence that her body had been dumped directly partway between Milwaukee and Speedway? Mike drove halfway, dump a body, drive the rest of the way. And Bill Filter had added that he all, they also stopped off at his dad's bar for a six-pack of beer that night. I don't know where the bar was, but the thing is, if your dad... Somewhere between here and Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, but the thing is, if it's your dad's bar, and so the person who works there would recognize you right away as the son of the owner. So when they questioned the bartender, like, hey, did Bill come in that night? She's like, no. And I would know. And I would recognize him. Bill Filter is lying. Why would they go to a bar for a six-pack? I don't know. Because it's probably free because his dad owns the place. Oh, okay. Michael Albrecht's ex-wife told investigators he had been staying with her in Milwaukee that week. And on the night Cindy went missing, he arrived home around 2 a.m. Albrecht would have needed about five hours to get to Milwaukee from Cindy's apartment in Speedway, Indiana. Could anyone account for that specific window of time? Yes, one person. Who is that? Bill Filter. Bill Filter, a longtime friend of Michael Albrecht, had provided him an alibi for that window of time. He claimed that on the night of the murder, the two of them had hung out together in Milwaukee from roughly 8 p.m. until nearly 2 in the morning. Bill Filter told police that him and Mike had gone out drinking they had gone to Bill Filter's father's bar. Detectives were frustrated. They believed that Filter's story was a lie. Michael Albrecht was involved in killing Cindy, and Bill Filter was providing a false alibi. 
then investigators got the break they had been waiting for. They located the car that Michael Albrecht had been driving that night. We did find some very significant evidence in the car. On the floor mat of the driver's side was a head hair from Cindy Albrecht. The strand of blonde hair appeared to be stained by blood. Was that proven? It absolutely was proven, in fact, from mitochondrial DNA testing. It was consistent with Cindy's blood. Detectives believe they now had enough evidence to arrest Michael Albrecht. We went to the prosecutor and explained to him, here's our case. They were stunned by the response. They declined to file a charge. The state prosecutor said it was not enough to take Michael to trial. Like, close. Yeah, it is all kind of coincidence. But no cigar. Five years later, Deputy DA Larry Sells. We will recognize this name, Larry Sells, as the prosecutor that convicted Sarah Jo Pender and called her the female Charles Manson. Ah. Which was a bit uh, of a stretch. Yeah, he's a character. He's very demonstrative. Was that like one of our first episodes? Yeah, and so it's not as good probably, but it's a big deal because... Big well, deal. It is because she tried to escape. She escaped to prison. Yeah. It was like the first homes. female on the FBI's most wanted list in a long time or something. I um, think the female Charles Manson thing was... It was extreme, and it's in our title. Yeah. It makes people click on it more. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's just he called her that because he said she was so manipulative when really it was just her crummy meathead boyfriend killed two meth heads, and she happened to be there to help him clean it up. Yeah. And that was it. And so she should have gotten in trouble, yes, but it wasn't like she orchestrated this murder of two. She's like, why would I? So she's still in prison. And since then, he's trying to help get her out because he realizes she's not guilty in the way she's that he made it She's not the female Charles Manson. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> so she shouldn't be in prison, but she is. And she's always in like the solitary unit because she escaped from prison one time. I don't know if he'll ever get her out, but that's what he's trying to do now. When he became the deputy DA, he was like, fuck this shit. Arrest Bill. And, he's, and they're like, okay. Okay, though. He was charged with a felony for assisting a criminal. And they filed first-degree murder charges against Michael Albrecht. Why did you end up accepting the case when other prosecutors refused to take it on? I saw the gruesome photographs of Cindy. I just became so outraged. The person responsible needed to be charged and tried and let a jury decide. Five years after Cindy first disappeared, Michael Albrecht was arrested. Describe to me the moment you found out that Michael Albrecht had been arrested for Cindy's murder. I about fell out of my chair. I called Becky. We both just kind of screamed. Why did you decide to arrest Bill Filter? So he wouldn't testify for Albrecht at the trial. Sells hoped that the threat of jail time would force Filter to admit he had been providing Michael Albrecht with a false alibi. And his plan worked. They extradited Michael from Georgia, where he was working at a BMW dealership as a mechanic. 
All right. And that was in June of 1997. Filter took a plea deal and agreed to testify against his friend. He admitted that at one point, Michael flat out asked him to kill Cindy for him. He's like, "Mm, no. (laughs) He said it would be. Thank you. It would be easy. Head between friends. It would be easy to get to her because there is a path between the wooded area to the back of her apartment where you could just walk up the terrace steps to her back door with no problem. So it was exactly how the detective was like, this is how this happened. Yeah. So he was telling his friend, this is how you could do it. No big deal. But his... No big deal. Twenty, His friend of 20 years was like, no, no. No, sir. And so Michael said, well, at least be my alibi then. He goes, okay, I'll lie. I'll I lie won't kill, you. but I'll lie. I'll lie for you, buddy. You don't even worry about it. The next day, Michael showed up at Bill's work site and admits to having killed Cindy. So he was just like, did you kill her? And he's like, yes. And then he says, do you want to see her body? It's in the trunk. Do we think Bill saw her body? Mm, Yeah. He was like, no, I don't need to see that. (laughs) But he still didn't call anyone or say anything. Yeah, that's bad. He was like, nah, I'm okay. I just had breakfast. They interview him. Uh, Scrambled eggs. eggs, Yeah. (laughs) He said that he just didn't care. They interview him, and he's like, I didn't care about anyone during that time of my life. He's like, I was drinking and doing drugs, and I didn't care about myself or anyone. And they're like, yeah, but you still didn't warn this woman that her husband was going to murder her. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, and you could tell he's like, I have no good excuse for why I didn't like just make an anonymous phone call mm-hmm. or anything, and then kept the secret for five years. It's hard to find good friends these days. Bill Filter confessed to lying to police for years. Why did you lie to police about Michael Albrecht's alibi? Why I lied? I can't give you an answer except for the fact that I had a lot of respect for him and didn't think he could have done it. Were you with Michael Albrecht the night Cindy was murdered? No. Filter told investigators he had nothing to do with Cindy's murder, but claimed that Albrecht had taken him to Cindy's apartment to lay out a plan to kill her. How could you believe he wasn't going to murder her when he physically took you to a spot where he showed you how he could get in and out of Cindy's apartment without being seen? Well, at that time, I was not the person I am today. I used to do a lot of drinking, and I did drugs. So I wasn't totally in a clear mind. I wasn't thinking. How could you not be thinking when another human life was at stake? Like I said, I didn't think he'd do it. Bill Filter wound up getting immunity from prosecution. Your record may be clean. Is your conscience clean? No, not at all. You know, if I would have came out right away and said something, it'd been different. So are you saying that you accept, in part, the responsibility for Cindy's murder? Oh, yes. Yes. I understand why people don't forgive me. All I can do is try being a better person now. But others wonder what might have been if Bill Filter had shared what he knew in the days leading up to the murder. Do you think that Cindy Albrecht would be alive today if Bill Filter 
would have called police. Absolutely believe it. There's no question in my mind. Filler's got to carry that to his grave. Bill Filter broke down and cried when he changed his story and told them that Albrecht admitted he had killed Cynthia. I think it finally got to him. He had been carrying it around inside of him for a long time and couldn't deal with it any longer, says Sells. Filter testified in exchange for immunity. During Michael's murder trial, Filter admitted he had lied to protect his longtime friend. Wow. For no, no, like nothing in return. There was no consequences. Mm -mm. Otherwise, it would have been jail time and like 100,000 bond maybe you think they do so don't do they get put on probation or fucking something or house arrest i think the deal was we'll let you go if you tell us everything and so he may not have told him everything if they're like oh and you're gonna be in trouble yeah it had to be a clean slate to get all the information yeah detectives believe that cindy arrived home got in the shower when she got out she was strangled on the bed michael stole her money then wrapped her up in the bedspread threw her into the trunk of the car and drove north where he cut off her head in the woods that was the series of events defense lawyers said he was the subject of a witch pursuit a witch <laughs> pursuit thing. pursuit thingy <laughs> a witch hunt and that cast suspicion on another man who had briefly dated cindy uh, I did not kill my wife, Cynthia, Michael Albrecht said. I am not a crook. In a written statement <laughs> released by his attorney just days after her body was discovered, I had nothing to do with the disappearance or death of Cynthia, directly or indirectly. Okay. End quote. <clears throat> yeah, it was a quote. Larry Sells says that Michael hated Cindy for leaving him. He didn't want the divorce. The evidence showed he was really upset with her. Michael had been fired from his job with Simon Racing. He was convinced his wife was behind his dismissal. I don't know how they know this or why he thinks that, but that's what he believed. Michael was jealous that his wife had started a relationship with another man. He was also motivated by money, says Sells, the co-author of a soon-to-be-published book on Albert Case titled Race to Justice. Race to Justice. Ooh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Sells said Michael was afraid that once the divorce was finalized, he would not be able to collect on the life insurance policy he had recently taken out on Cynthia. Michael Albrecht had main, has maintained his innocence since the day his wife disappeared. At trial, Bill Filter testified to the jury that Michael had talked about killing and decapitating his wife before she went missing. I guess it's just idle conversation to talk about beheading your wife. That's what I talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, guys, anyone? Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like to decapitate my wife, you know? It's really getting on my nerves here. That's honestly way too specific. No, yeah, <laughs> it's, that's too much. Like, oh, man, I wish I was single is way different. Than, yeah, but like, oh, if I, what's I really want to cut my wife's your, head off. Your uncle says if I killed her. Oh, he goes, if I'd killed her, I'd have been out five years ago. Yep. <laughs> I think he said on their 30th wedding anniversary. That's sweet. <laughs> yeah, I want to decapitate my wife. Albrecht drove to Milwaukee and returned to Indianapolis that night to kill Cynthia. Filter testified that Michael showed up in Wisconsin the next morning, so he had to create an alibi by driving. Right. That's a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a jury only eight hours to convict him. In 1998, he was sentenced to 60 years in prison, which he is serving at the Plainfield Correctional Facility. Go see him. Man. Michael still claimed innocence at the sentencing hearing. In his first public comments about his wife's murder since his arrest, he called his conviction a grave injustice. <laughs> and told Cynthia's loved ones he was sorry for her pain, adding, I've shed my share of tears. The judge gave Sells a chance to cross-examine Michael, and he had one question. 
I looked her right in the eyes and I said, where's Cindy's head? And he sat there and I didn't get a response for a while. The attorneys objected. The judge sustained the objections. I waited and he eventually said, uh, you're asking the wrong man, sir. He has a psychopathic personality. He doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. Please know Michael spent a lot of time on the road and even drove to Florida in the days after Cynthia's disappearance, says Sells. He suspects he cut off Cynthia's head in those woods and kept it with him for a couple days at least. We never did find her head. That's fucked up. His earliest release date is June 4th, 2023, which is not that far away, if you think about it. I don't know how old he will be. Someone do some math, quick. How old was he when he was convicted? (laughs) I don't know. In 1992, he was 41. That help? Yeah. So yeah. Oh, it's not 1900s anymore. <laughs> nope. 2019 minus 1992. So 40 plus 40. He's 80. He's 68 right now. Okay. So he won't be that old. He'll be like 70. I mean, that's old, but not like he yeah. won't be getting out when he's 99 or something. We always appeal our murder convictions, right? Murder convictions. <laughs> My voice is bad. I'm sorry. Got to appeal all of mortal convictions. As a podcaster, my greatest asset is my voice, and it's struggling. It's not why. That's why you're not a television star. Mm-mm. Hey, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not a television <laughs> star. So Michael Albrecht saw a new trial complaining that the state failed to preserve and provide him with the interview notes of an FBI agent. According to Albrecht, the state's actions denied him due process of law and the right to a fair trial. The FBI assisted Speedway police in the investigation of Cynthia's death. So he's saying the FBI had notes and they made those notes into a summary and submitted the summary to the trial and that he wanted the full notes. But those extra notes had been destroyed. Were what do you call it? Hanging on by a thread. Something that's a good catchphrase. Putting lipstick on a pig. I'm not sure. What? Trying to make something out of nothing. A mountain out of a molehill. Yeah. Big dogs need big beds. Small dogs need small beds. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. All right. Evidence must both possess an exculpatory value that was apparent before the evidence was destroyed and be of such a nature that the defendant would be unable to obtain comparable evidence by other reasonable available means. It makes you sound smart, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. They're saying we didn't do anything wrong by those notes being destroyed. Uh, Albrecht asserts that trial court improperly excluded evidence related to his defense, namely the results of a witness polygraph examine, examination, the Matthew Colonel guy. So he's trying to blame it on him. And his basis for this evidence is simply that Colonel had acted violently towards one of his girlfriends. So that means he probably killed Cynthia too. Colonel Mustard. Colonel in the library with the knife. Ugh. So they said that's bullshit. Okay, he didn't like that they admitted a picture of his wife's body without her head. He's like, that's... Remember when on Jodi Aries, when he's like, it was Travis Alexander's, one of his old girlfriends, and he like showed her a picture of his dead body like for shock value, and she's like, what? It was a really odd display, and his family wasn't prepared, and they saw his... Those are graphic photos. So this guy is trying to say not even the jury should have seen the photos of her body. And it's like, but that's like the case. The trial court admitted an autopsy photograph of Cynthia depicting her neck and shoulder region where her head had been severed. So like where her head should have been. 
Albrecht argues the photograph lacked probative value because Cynthia's head was severed after she was killed. So it shouldn't matter what her body looks like because she was already dead, Mm -hmm. which is silly. Here the photograph was admitted during the testimony of the forensic pathologist who examined Cynthia's body. Her body had not been altered by the pathologist and the photograph essentially depicted Cynthia's body as it was found. Photographs showing the victim in his or her natural state following death are generally relevant and admissible. Furthermore, the pathologist also described saw marks discovered in the bone around the wound in the uniform and regular pattern of the cuts in the skin and the muscle indicating that a sharp object was used to sever Cynthia's head. And he's a known tree cutter. No, that was the other guy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All about racing. I'm sure it affected the racing community at the time. I don't know if they... Yeah, yeah. I mean... So yeah, she was just a regular person... Very pretty. I saw pictures and her friend. She was murdered on her friend's birthday. So wow. every year they celebrate her death and her friend's birthday at the same time. How do you like to reflect upon her life? That last year, she had told me, I've never been so happy. And there was nothing but up for her. On October 25th every year, which happens to be my birthday and the day he murdered her, Becky and I have got together now 23 years straight, and we have a drink, and we toast to Cindy. She's just there with us all the time. Damn. Yeah, so that was, that's sad. But the douchebag ended up in prison. That's, you know, you're not supposed to lie for your friends when they kill someone. And he knew. It wasn't just, I was lying because I thought he, maybe he did, but I wasn't for sure. He knew that he that he killed his wife and still lied. He and was it. traveling with her body. Yes. Moving across state lines. That's probably why the FBI was involved. Yeah. Transporting a body of state across. Yeah, we know yes, that one. Is. Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah, we do. So it's really not that. And he could have gotten life without parole. That's why he was appealing all this. And like, dude, you got off easy with 60 years. Yeah. Premeditated. First degree murder, mutilation of a body, taking a body across state lines. He could have got life without parole. But, but they never like found that the clothes he was wearing or anything. I feel like if you're cutting someone's head off, I it's going to leave some mess. Yeah, I don't, I guess not. I mean, he. They find the murder weapon? Mm-mm. Not that I saw. Because you, hmm. it probably was a saw. You just dump it in the trash, not what Gypsy Rose did and mailed it to themselves. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> But they were dumb kids, but... Yeah. I still think they would have been convicted without the bloody knife. Yeah. So he probably mailed just... a knife to themselves? Yeah. The murder weapon. They mailed it to... Like, they were at a bus stop, and they mailed it to his house where they were going. Instead of just dumping it in the trash somewhere. <laughs> Things that make sense. Yeah. So he probably just dumped his old clothes in the murder weapon. Who knows where he put her head. He drove around so much. It could be anywhere from here to Florida, here to Wisconsin. And I'm sad. They probably won't find it. And if anyone, by now it would be just bones. Yeah. But that's, you know, how dare she have a successful career in the 90s? Women couldn't do that in the 90s. Can't do it now. Or date someone else with more money and more fun than him. How dare she? How dare she? You know somebody, let me know. That's that. I saved it for now. You told me this whole story before. I probably did. And I think you told it to me in like five seconds. Uh, this was, I added on some of his appeal stuff because it was a shorter story. I bet the book has a lot more information, but I didn't have time to read You know, the book. enough of it. 
to make a book. Yeah. So it's the story can be told in a shorter amount of time because there wasn't a lot of like DNA and waiting for DNA to come back and dinner. It was just, I created an alibi from, and they tried to argue that you can't believe him. He's a liar. He lied for his friend. So you can't believe him when he's on the stand because he's lying to you now. And the jury was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) No. Oh, and uh, his other appeal (laughs) was that two of the jury people were brother and sister and they didn't know it. Really? Oh, come on. (laughs) They didn't. And they're like, they found out after the trial. That that wouldn't have affected the trial then. No. And they're saying it can. I mean, stuff like that can. If you're taught, you're not supposed to talk about the trial. And if you're doing that or you find out a jury member gets on there and is opposed to the death penalty, like Jody Aries, you know, one person opposed, like that. So. But if they were strangers during the trial, then. And no one ever asked them, is anyone else on this selection of jury members related to the other they never asked that and i don't think they knew they were related like they lived in separate places and they're like we never talked about the trial with anyone because those are the rules and they're like okay and then they didn't and you can't say you deserve a fair trial just because two people were related on the same jury panel he said that is that motherfucker yep and the larry sells prosecutor is a character he's interesting i'll probably there's a paula zahn on the case with paula zahn on the case. I'll probably on. put audio clips of that in here, maybe. Do it. Do it. You won't. <laughs> and there are, we have some Patreon people. Sup, bitches. <laughs> and there are our favorite people. I don't know if I've thanked Sheila yet. <laughs> Sup, Sheila. I don't know if we have. I talk to her on Twitter all the time. I and No, all the time we talk on Twitter. She's great and very funny. Well, and then there's also Jennifer. Sup, Jennifer. Jennifer is very new. And if you either one of you haven't had stickers or anyone hasn't had stickers and you want them, you have to tell me and send me your address at whosyourhomicide at gmail.com or Instagram or something. Tell me that you want stickers and to send your address with them. And then we also and have... One person will be picked at random and we will mail them a glitter dick bomb. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> then we actually have another five-star review. <laughs> Shucking. Alex Mills. Dying laughing, just finished listening to Killing Your Mother for 200. I am dying laughing at the Facebook poop post. <laughs> Keep up the great work and thank you for making my day. Do you remember that when we Thanks. came across the woman complaining about dog shit in her yard yes. and she took a picture of it? <laughs> and Daniel just like <laughs> stumbled upon it. Your laugh in that episode, you just, it's, it broke you because you commented back, like, sorry, I couldn't hold it. That's what yeah. you say back. <laughs> I think that popped up in my memories the other day. Because <laughs> that woman was irate about the large turd in her yard. <laughs> it was just, you know, it, it wasn't the fact that she was upset someone else's dog took a dump in her yard. It was the fact that she decided to take a picture. Of yeah, the up close. It was up close picture. Like, like she'll look be able at to it. identify look at it. it. Yes. Does this look like your dog's poop? <laughs> it was I need to find As that. As if you share. could identify the shit or your dog by the shit. I guess she knew it would be a large breed. Boris, you don't usually poop on the walks, do you? You've taken Boris on a walk? Yeah, I have to have that gentle leader on his nose. <laughs> or he'll drag me around. Right, ding dong? Who's your big boy? Have Carla talk to you in a pretty voice. I'm just so cute. Because I just have nose. Boris I'm just a soft. little guy. Oh. <laughs> what time is it? Oh man, it's getting late. Okay, that's all I got. Do you have anything else, Boris? Would you like to say? Speak, speak, speak. Says you're not holding any trees. Speak. Wow, he's trained excellently. <gasps> speak.
Oh, jangan boy. Oh, jangan boy. Just off nose. Watermass is a good boy. All right. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on all the podcast sites. We have a website, whosyourhomicide.com. Forget about that one. He's sniffing. Mm. He's got the sniffish. I have our resources. This is mostly Indie Star. Mostly that. Indie Star. That's, we're not on the Indie Star. And for honest to goodness, stay, stay out, out of the, the corn. corn. Oh, it's a big boy. It's such a big boy. You saved the day. He did. He talked on your podcast. He thwarted criminals. No. I'm trying to read this. <gasps> I will murder you both. <laughs> <laughs> no, Daniel, let me do There this. may be an encore. Hold I'm, on. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's called sphincter control. I thought Boris was a problem. It was Boris. It wasn't me. You're going to wake him up. That's for sure.